Welcome home. I'm so glad you decided to join us today for Church at Home, and I would love to extend a special welcome to anyone new to the family. Today we are going to be talking about how Jesus is our everlasting Father, and if you have any questions, want to get involved, or just let us know that you are here, please text HELLOCORD to 474747, and we will get in touch with you. And if this is helpful to you, please consider clicking the like and subscribe buttons and ring the bell for notifications. We are a church that seeks to transform lives with the resurrected power of Jesus. And there are a lot of great things happening, but we'll come back to them at the end. Right now, let's gather together for a time of praise and worship.
for Church at Home. I'm Greg and my wife Anna and I are so excited to have you in this kind of unlikely place for a church, the kitchen. I love how warm and happy the kitchen is, especially at this time of the year. And this is our third week of Advent. And one of the things I've noticed is how decorated our neighborhood and house is for the holidays. I think that speaks to our collective need for some good news this year. 2020 has been a year with many challenges on many levels. We all long for respite, for joy, and for the hope of some good news. Our hope is that this next 30 minutes will provide you with a small bit of that hope and good news. Prepare your heart to receive it. Set down the things that beep, chirp, or buzz at you. Take a deep breath and release the stress and craziness you've been holding in. Gather friends or family around you or connect with somebody over the phone and watch with them. Let the words, music, and prayers encourage and strengthen your soul as we have church at home together. We begin with the words Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christians throughout the ages have solidified their beliefs in creeds. One of the most used creeds is called the Apostles' Creed. We're going to say together the words of this creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Again, thank you for joining us, especially if this is your first time. Shoot us a text to 474747 with the word Hello Core to let us know that you're here. And when you do that, a form will come to you with a place for you to ask questions. If there are any words you don't understand, any questions about the ideas you hear, please write them and send them to us. We would love to find time to talk more deeply about what you hear. We're continuing our series on the names of Jesus that lead us to Christmas. Today we're going to listen to Pastor Greg as he shares about Jesus as our everlasting Father. Listen with me. Something happened quite a while ago that was quite horrifying. Two people swept a child into a van and they drove off it over 90 miles an hour. Now the child was being held down and he was horrified. There was no escape. He cried and then things got worse. The van suddenly stopped. More people, bright lights, masked bandits. The, the seized child was tied down so he couldn't move. Worse, they held his head and he could see this 
needle coming right at his eyeball. Then, then they started to tug and dig into his flesh. It sounds like a horror story, doesn't it? And it probably was. To Caleb, my now 17-year-old, who was two years old at the time. Made worse for Caleb, his father wasn't rescuing him. You see, at two years old, Caleb was just the right height to bump into coffee tables and need stitches. Yes, his father had broken the speed limit in our Honda minivan. And yes, we did hold him down so he couldn't move. And yes, needles were involved. But the reason was so that he could be healed. The pain had a purpose. All he needed to do, all he could do, was wait. Isaiah is dealing with a similar people. They're inflicted with a horrible wound. And God must step in and bring healing from from our vantage point, as we look at this passage in Isaiah chapter 64, it's hard to tell what God is doing sometimes. We are his people, and he is our father, but the text says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake, and that the waters would boil. What a crazy hard thing for us to understand. And the sufferings of life, don't they just sometimes seem so capricious and so dangerous? So here's what I want you to remember. As we work through this passage, Isaiah 64, I want you to remember this one verse. It's verse number four. No one has seen a God like this. Sin scars, but God saves. In verses one through five, I want you to understand that sin scars us because of our adversaries. It says there in verse one, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down the mountains, quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you and your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time and shall we be saved? Everything is broken. Why? Because of the adversaries, the nations around Israel have invaded, they've broken things down, they've enslaved the people and the world. Well, it seems like everything is falling apart. Here's a crazy example. Uh, some of you are Democrats, some of you are Republicans, some of you are young and not a part member of any party. But I hear many people, depending on what channel they're looking at, saying things equally that go like this. I remember when... Or young people saying, there's got to be a better way. All of the people are saying, this can't be what the founding fathers intended. No matter what channel they're watching, their mouth drops as they look around the world, right? And that same feeling, that national feeling that we're in right now of being stuck, that's Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. Why are they broken? They're broken because everything's broken. The solution, though, is to tear down the three-story house, rip the heavens, shake the mountains, boil the sea. Sin is affecting our cosmos. Take charge, God. And the good news is this. God has a history of coming down. And so what they're saying in this passage is, God, go get them. 
Look to the past. You acted in the past, and you remember the story of the Exodus. God's people were enslaved in, in, uh, under Pharaoh in Egypt, and God rescued them. He darkened the sun. The mountain burned. The sea was split so that they could go through. He's saying, tear down the three-story house of the universe now. Brick by brick, come down and help. God, do a cosmic reboot and get us out of here. But there's a problem. God seems so silent. Did you see in verse 3, it says, when you did awesome things. When? When in the past? It's been a long time, God. There's this angst that's in this verse. They remember the Exodus. They remember God delivering them. God's care for them as a shepherd. God's delivering of them. His shaping of their hearts. They'd seen literal miraculous works done on their behalf as a nation for hundreds of years. But now, they couldn't see anything. And so the text says, From of old, no one has heard or perceived or ear, by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who work righteousness. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we've been a long time. Shall we be saved? Do you hear the angst in their heart there? You acted. Shall we be saved? Why aren't you acting, God? The conditions for acting are right there. God acts for those who wait for him, who joyfully work righteousness, who remember him. They've forgotten. They've acted independently. They've sinned. And you see, now we're getting to the root of the problem. It's a worship problem. Worship is waiting. It's praying. It's remembering. And they're instead worrying, worshiping idols. They're panicking. They have amnesia spiritually. And in fact, they're acting in great irony. They've gone to Egypt, the one who enslaved them, to save them, forgetting about God. And I think that's how we all are sometimes. It's a great phrase. It says, everybody worships something for their ruin or their restoration. Worship is the problem because it shows where our hearts go in problem. My mom has this great diagnostic question. She says, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? What's the behavior that you have when the wheels are falling off the car? Are you like just waiting for the fall falling of the wheels off? Or are you praying and acting in faith right then? Are you worrying or panicking or acting in self-interest when your emotions get the better of you? Thankfully, in this passage, their perspective is changing. They are beginning to realize that they outside aren't the problem. They're beginning to look inward. Their problem perspective is becoming a personal problem. It's no longer, as we move through this passage, they're hurting us. Now, we may be able to understand that we're the problem. And here comes the judge. Down the mountain, rending the heavens, boiling the ocean. Why? Because the problem isn't them, the problem is me. We've been in these sins a long time, is what the passage is saying. Shall we be saved? And again, that's where the good news is. No one has seen a God like this. Sin scars, but God saves. God says in verses 1 through 5, from our adversaries. But when you get to verses 6 and 7, you begin to understand that sin scars me. And I am an adversary of God. 
If you have a Bible, look with me in verses 6 and 7. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Alexander Solzhenitsyn once wrote, The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart, and through all human hearts. Sin is this old word that sometimes we have challenged understanding. It's basically just the human propensity to foul things up. When we can make a mess of things, we do. And when we look at the three-story house of our life, we realize that things are broken at every level. On the external level, at the level of our own energy and strength, at the level of our own soul and our existence. The passage talks about sin as being like a garment. The external has been polluted. Israel sins so often that it's become habitual. It's become second nature, a, a second skin. And it's affecting all of them. It's affecting their energy. It says, we fade like a leaf. I love what the psalmist says. The psalmist, speaking many, many eons before this, says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. That's the way sin affects us. It affects us at the the level of our, our energy, our soul, our existence. It then goes on to talk about this idea of sin melting us in the hand. Now, again, sin is a hard concept for us modern Americans, but sin is just that which causes us to go from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of me. Sin places me at the center of life. Sin makes me be the one that needs to be in control. You see, we hate when we're not healthy. We hate when we don't have all of the possessions that we think we should have. We hates when people don't love us or when people don't respect us or people don't like us. And so what do we do like when that happens? We get angry. Why? Because people are breaking God's law? No, because people are breaking our laws. Our laws say, love me, let me be in control, worship me. And the result of that is we steal glory from God and God hides his face. You see, when you come to a passage like this, you have to come to a a pretty stark realization. And that is that, this. God is angry. No wonder he's asking, how shall we be saved? Now again, we've talked about sin, and now we're talking about an angry God? That seems really weird, doesn't it? The reality is, is we need an angry God. But it hits our ears so hard. I don't know if you had this experience maybe in junior high or high school. You read a, a sermon from a, uh, an early Christian named Jonathan Edwards. The, sinner, the um, name of the sermon was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I don't know about you, but I know my experience of reading that was to say, Really? Really? Sinners in the hands of an angry God? Is God really angry? And the answer is yes. But consider the alternative. If God is just mildly annoyed at all of the brokenness around the world, if God's just mildly annoyed, well, that's not justice. And we need justice rolling down the hills. 
And if God is unconcerned about all the horrible things that are going on in this world, and even the horrible things in me, then that's not love. God doesn't hate us, but he's angry at the devastation that sin brings in our lives. And because of that, because of his anger, we can trust that he will bring healing. C.S. Lewis, a wonderful author, says in the book, The Problem of Pain, you ask for a loving God. Well, you have one. The great Lord of terrible aspect loves you. Not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way, not the cold philanthropy of conscientious magistrate, nor the care of a host who feels somehow responsible for the comfort of his guests. But God's love is a consuming fire, the love that made the world's persistent as an artist's love for her work, a father's love for a child, the inexorable and extracting love of a man's love for his wife. When we come to this third week of Advent, the theme is supposed to be on joy. It's supposed to be moving towards Christmas. Everything's supposed to be getting better. How is this joyful? Well, let me drop back just a little bit. There are four questions that we ask in all of our core group Bible studies. They're the four most important questions. And they're these. The the first one is, what do you see God doing? What do you see man doing? Where do you see the gospel in this? And then what do I need to do? Well, we've covered the first two, right? What is God doing? God is angry at sin. And the second one is man is realizing that we're the sinners, that we're the ones that are broken up. So where's the gospel in this? Well, the gospel, remember, is good news, not good advice. And so in this is going to be some good news. You see, we don't need a religious restoration program. Christmas has to indict our heart before it can delight our heart. But, but here's the difference between good advice and good news. Good advice says, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. The gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. Remember verse four, no one has seen a God like this. Sin scars, but God saves. Sin scars because of our adversaries, those external to us, but sin scars me because I'm an adversary. Look at verses eight and nine. And when you see that, you'll see that God has a long track record of coming down mountains. Let's look in verse eight. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are your people. Jesus is the father of the redeemed. In the same way that George Washington is our founding father, he fought for us, he led us through the battle and served to establish us, so too Jesus fought for us coming down the mountain from heavens to earth to the deep to save those who were dead from death. J.I. Packer, the great Anglican statesman, says, Grace is God's love in action towards people who merited the opposite of love. God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. Remember those four questions. What is God doing? What is man doing? What's the gospel? The gospel is good news that God is moving. And what do we need to do? Well, this is the cry for throughout chapter 63 and 64. God, re-father us. Bring us back into the family. 
How does that happen? Well, if you're the parent of a wayward child, someone who has a child that's going a long way, or maybe you were the wayward child at some point, you know, harping and giving a 10-step program or, or telling someone what to do, it doesn't work. What do you do? You pray. But just like in the prodigal story that we know from the gospel so well, where the youngest goes away, you have to pray and wait for your child to come to their senses. The beautiful part about this passage of scripture is that the child is coming to their senses. He says, O Lord, remember not our iniquity forever. And that's what coming to your senses is all about. That's honesty. God is rightfully angry, but in his anger, he looks at the mess that we've made and he gets in the middle of it. Lord, remember not our iniquity. Please look on us. And the way that we move through that is we admit our sin and we wait for his working. You see, no one's seen a God like this. A God who doesn't act capriciously, but loves us in the midst of our sin. He sees the scars, but he saves. Packer goes on to say, grace means God sending his only son to the cross to descend into hell so that we guilty ones might be reconciled to God and receive heaven. God has a history of coming down mountains to save. To the cross he goes to be a God of furious love so that all of his fury could be dealt with with Jesus on the cross. You see, Jesus Christ is the judge who was judged. He's the one that took all of the anger so that when you believe in him, there's no anger left for you. We are all fallen in the first Adam, but in Jesus, we are taken and restored, and he becomes our everlasting father, our leader who never gives up on us. In fact, this is the amazing grace of Christmas that sin scars, but God heals. Each of the sin scars that we have are reversed in the person of Jesus by him coming down the mountain all the way to hell, the hell that we find ourselves in. We find that the unclean can be declared clean. The blind can see, the deaf can hear, and those who aren't the people of God, those who are orphaned either by sinful living or the results of this broken world, find a hearty welcome home in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Jesus, meet us in our brokenness, and where sin has scarred, help us to find you to be mighty to save. Amen. Thank you, Greg, for reminding us that Jesus is also our everlasting Father. We can know him as a Father who loves us deeply. If this has touched your heart and you have questions about this everlasting Father, you'd like to get to know him more, please use the feedback form to reach out and we will contact you to talk further. As Christians, we have a God who hears and forgives us, and we like to take time in our service to examine our hearts and confess to Him. I wonder if there are any times when your heart has been restless this week, or times when you haven't gone to God but to other people or things or substances to meet your needs, times that you haven't rested in Jesus as your everlasting Father to meet those needs. Take a few moments and reflect on those this week and confess those things to God. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Almighty God, creator of all, you marvelously made us in your image, but we have corrupted ourselves and damaged your likeness by rejecting your love and hurting our neighbors. We have done wrong and neglected to do right. 
we are sincerely sorry and heartily repent of our sins. Cleanse us and forgive us by the sacrifice of your Son. Remake us and lead us by your Spirit, the Comforter. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, whose steadfast love is as great as the heavens are high above the earth, remove your sins from you. As far as the east is from the west, strengthen your life in his kingdom and keep you upright to the last day through Jesus Christ, our merciful high priest. Amen. I want you to know that God loves you and he meets you no matter how far away you feel today with words of welcome. Listen to these welcoming words of Jesus to all who turn to him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. These words remind us of the truth that Jesus is our everlasting Father. He runs after us in his love to rescue and care for us. And as a result of his care for us, we can then care for each other. So we say to each other, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. As we say the word peace, we realize that the world is greatly lacking in peace right now. I think that's apparent everywhere. We hear of bad news everywhere, and our hearts are heavy until we remember that we have an everlasting Father. We can, we can turn to Him with all of our needs and wants. He both hears and answers our prayers. Join me in praying to this everlasting Father. Father, we pray that you will lead the nations of the world in the ways of peace. Guide their leaders in wisdom and truth for the safety and good of all. Together, Father, hear our prayer through Jesus Christ our Lord. Pour out on your whole church the spirit of unity and truth. May all who confess your holy name agree in the truth of your word, live in loving unity, and serve you with holy and righteous lives. Father, we pray for the churches across our nation, those that um, have had to close for the Christmas holidays due to COVID. We pray that the people of those churches would feel your love and care, that the pastors would be um, strengthened to provide care in this very difficult time, and that um, your word would go forth even through just new ways, new means of communication through this time. Together, Father, Father hear our, our prayer. prayer. Through, through Jesus Christ, Christ our Lord. Lord, comfort and sustain everyone who in this fleeting life is in sorrow, need, sickness, or any other distress. Especially when we lift up our family members who are, may be suffering. Lift up right now your family and friends who need prayer. Together, yeah. Father, Father, hear our prayer through Jesus Christ, Christ our Lord. And now, let us pray as our Savior taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
May the Holy Trinity make you strong in faith and love, defend you on every side, and guide you in truth and peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.
so much for joining us today. I mentioned earlier that we are a community that seeks to transform lives with the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. And as we close, I would like to share a few ways to connect into our family. If you are interested in connecting with us in any of these ways or learning more, please text HelloCore to 474747 and we will connect with you. Our core groups are continuing to grow and reach many different people in many different ways. These groups really try to dive deep together, and we would love to find the right group for you. I know this season can be challenging, whether you've lost a loved one or are just feeling down. And so we have a blue Christmas service on Thursday the 17th at 6 p.m. And I would invite you to come and rest in God's love for you. Also, we have four services on Christmas Eve, one at 4, 6, 8, and 10 p.m. and a 10 o'clock service on Christmas Day. And I would love to invite you to come to one of these services this Christmas season. Thank you so much for taking this time to join us, and we look forward to seeing you again next week.